Restaurant Unstoppable episode 671 with Chef Stephen Terrier. You know, when I tried to mentor someone, it's like, if you don't know, ask a question and I will show you. Don't try to half-ass it because you want to show off. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. You got to check out Wisetail, a premier learning management system. Wisetail is a forward-thinking training and communication platform built to engage today's workforce. Wisetail is trusted because it grew up alongside some of the most recognized restaurants in the industry. This has helped them shape their products and its functionality through real-world feedback and rigorous testing. Wisetail can help you scale your training initiatives across all locations while empowering your employees to take control of their learning and their professional growth. To learn more, head over to www.wisetail.com slash unstoppable or find the banner in the show notes. And if you use my links, you'll get three months free after signing up for a year contract. Again, that's wisetail.com slash unstoppable. For years, restaurant owners have been pleading for more integration in their restaurants, and they finally got it. Restaurant 365 is a cloud-based, all-in-one, restaurant-specific accounting and back-office platform that seamlessly integrates with POS systems, payroll providers, and food and beverage vendors. Head over to restaurant365.com slash unstoppable and qualify for 30% off implementation and a free inventory build in Restaurant 365, a value of $5,000. Were you aware that 89% of guests will research a restaurant online before dining out? This is why it is so important for you to be mindful of what your online presence is. Visit getbento.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your Bento Box website today. Bento Box empowers restaurants to own their presence, profits, and relationships online. One more time, that is getbento.com slash unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Stefan Turier. Chef, are you feeling unstoppable today? Uh Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> you know, they, I, I don't know what's going to stop me, so, <laughs> you know. I cannot wait to dive into your story. So, Chef Stefan Terrier was born and raised and trained in Stockton, Sweden. In 1982, after working in Stockton for a few years, Stefan uh, was offered a job in Sarasota, Florida. His plan was to stay a year. You ended up never going back. Exactly. Uh, really interesting. Still here. Yeah. In 1988, he was lured, uh, the, the lure of Italian cuisine called and Stefan joined Piatti. Did I say that correctly? Yeah, Piatti restaurant. Piatti restaurant. Thank you. In Uteville, Napa Valley. Uh, promoted quickly, he was soon responsible for new restaurant openings, menu development, and training. Other career highlights include a seven-year stint at San Francisco's famed Scala's Bistro and cooking at the James Beard House in New York City. Today, chef is the uh, sorry serves as chef partner of. 
Perbaco in Barbaco in San Francisco. I had the pleasure of speaking to your business partner. Um, it, it was a great episode. I'll be sure to uh, link to that in here. Umberto, a really mm-hmm. character. You guys are going to want to yeah. listen to that one. Uh, but now is your time to shine. So I can't wait to hear your story and find out how you got to where you are today. <laughs> but let's get that motivational, inspirational okay. ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you got for us? Okay, I got to read it too. Please, so please. this is, uh, you know, it kind of embodies what I've done so far. And this is from, it's a, from a Japanese man. Uh, and the quote goes like this. I just hate the word talent. You buckle down and work. That's talent. Talent has two parts, hard work and grit. If you have those, you have talent to do anything. Never think you're some kind of genius. And this is from Kunihira Kawachi. He's a sword master in Japan. He uh, makes, you know, samurai swords. So dissect that, that quote. Why does it resonate with you? Because that's what it takes, for, at least for me, to become a chef. It's hard work. It's and you got to have the grit to withstand the pressures within the restaurant industry. It's a very stressful place. You know, the guests might view it differently because they're here to enjoy themselves. But to put together that enjoyment for the guests, no matter what type of restaurant you're in, it's hard work. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons why I love this industry so much. Because no matter who you are, where you come from, what privilege you have, if you come into this industry and you bust your ass, you have just as good of a shot as anybody else. As yeah, as, as make to, to make it to the top, and it's it's kind of that that it's a, kind of an equalizer in a way. It is, and that it's you know being in the restaurant business has never been. I've that met very very few people that were born with silver spoons in their mouth that work in this business. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a working class job. It seems glamorous, but you know, as I said, you get knuckled down and, and work hard, not only physically, but you got to work on your, you know, ed- educating yourself constantly. Uh, there's always something to learn out there. You got to work on your technique and it, it's a lot of repetition mm-hmm. and uh, it takes a long time. Yeah. What's well, like they say it takes 10,000 hours to become a master, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the other thing, although that, some people think that, you know, a few hours on YouTube will make you, <laughs> we were just talking proficient. before we hit record too. We we're talking about, uh, the, majority of kitchen staff being uh, of Spanish or Mexican descent, and especially in California. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're taking all that knowledge and all that talent. They're bringing it back to Mexico. And now Mexico is becoming this, like you call the, like a, a what was the, the term you used? It's, it's kind of, you know, Mexico city is becoming culinary capital in the world, you know, where, where people are looking to. And I think it's because they're bringing, what they've learned as far as technique and working in restaurants is not that Mexico didn't have anything yeah. before. They have an incredible culinary history, mm-hmm. but they're taking their knowledge from, you know, French cooking or Italian cooking uh, techniques that they've learned, and they're taking that back and applying it to well, not just their how to culture, coach, but how to run a business, right? I think they've probably been pretty good at running yeah. businesses, but you know, and, and now the world has gotten smaller because mm-hmm. of internet, and there's so much Travel, information, yeah. you know, being exchanged on a daily basis that that it's is easier to obtain. But but I think this how how this has come about is a lot of them worked here, and then you go back home and 
you apply what you've learned. I guess what I was thinking, like to come full circles, like uh, a lot of people come to this country for opportunity to, to yeah. develop skill, and then they they're getting that skill and they're going back and they're they're bringing this knowledge or bringing the skill set, and they are creating opportunity yeah. to, to, to to come back. What we we're saying earlier with the, with the hard work being an equalizer, right? Yeah. No matter who you exactly. are, you know, um, awesome stuff. So where does it start to make sense to, to share your story? Where should we go back to? Probably when I was 13, I okay. started in the restaurant business. <laughs> yeah. So I heard that you or read that you were uh, apprenticing or was it a, like a work study for a butcher or something like that? Yeah. In in, in Sweden, um, you do kind of an apprenticeship when you seventh grade. You know, they send you out into different fields of work and, and you can pretty much pick anything you want. Uh, a lot of people kind of take it a little bit easier and you know they become a teacher's assistant or they work in a office or something like that at that point in my life i was kind of rebellious uh you know i was a punk rocker so you know anything to shock people or piss them off at me so you know i did so uh, having grown up on a farm uh, you know in my uh, you know early early years uh I said, you know, I'm just going to go and work at Slaughterhouse because one is something I kind of knew and two, it would really make people dislike me. So that worked <laughs> fine for me. So I spent two months in the Slaughterhouse and um, working and, you know, got to learn how to butcher a little bit. And then they offered me a summer job after that. So I went back a couple of months later and worked over the summer. And uh, the old butchers took me under their wing and, and you know, at, uh, probably 14 at that point, you know, showed me how to butcher and, and so on. And uh, from there, I've always had an interest in cooking, grew up with family that, you know, everybody was great cooks. You know, my grandmother's mother, aunts. Now you, you weren't really expecting to like it, were you? That was kind of a surprise. Like, was well, that- you know, I kind of went in for you know into the slaughterhouse for shock value, and yeah. then I realized it was actually a very respectful profession. People were very, you know, it wasn't you know like that carnage that people yeah. think of. It, it it was actually a very respectful, and still is a very respectful job, and um, it kind of changed my mindset. You know, I suddenly wasn't as rebellious as I thought I would be. And um, how did it change your mindset? Get into that. You know, it it taught me a lot of respect for a lot of things, not only for the skill of working and and what it takes. But, you know, looking at what you're doing when you're in an environment where essentially you're killing animals, Mm you have to have a lot of respect for that. Yeah. Uh, in the imagine. sense that uh, you can't walk in being desensitized and uh, not thinking of what you're doing. Mm. It, it, it's, it's, it's part of our life. Some people don't agree with it, but, uh, you know, the more you respect what you're doing in, in that sense, it means that you're going to respect it more as it moves further down the line and um, always had that in mindset that you never waste anything because mm-hmm. whether it's a carrot or a piece of beef or it was life. something, it was life. Yeah. 
and it's your job to respect that. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And what about the people, the, these mentors? Yeah, the, the men and women you were working with. I don't. I don't know. Uh, a lot of them. I mean, I don't remember them that much. <laughs> but uh, from what I remember, the ones that you thought were really tough were actually very deeply religious people. So uh, you know. But uh, after that stint, uh, I signed up for you know hotel and restaurant school. I had a kind of a you know idea that I was going to quit after high school and just go out and get a job and uh, when my mom handed me you know a piece of paper that broke down everything that I would have to pay for at home uh, or I had the choice of getting an education um, you know I quickly came to my senses that okay I might want to continue educating myself so <laughs> Uh, so I went to hotel and restaurant school in Stockholm, and um, from there, you know, during that time, I was also doing my apprenticeship as a commis in a French restaurant, and and my first mentor, uh, a Swiss chef, uh, you know, has, you know, still today, I remember the things that he taught me, the things that he told me. Uh, you know, uh, and I still live by those today. Let's, let's unpackage some of these things that he taught you. In, in oh, you know, he, let's give him a name first. <laughs> his name, his name is Kurt Schultes. Uh, he still lives in Stockholm. Uh, and uh, actually, on my next trip back, I'm probably going to try to reconnect with him because no, be uh, I found one of my old uh, uh, old cooks that I was working with who. He used to kick my butt every day. Uh, he said, yeah, Kurt is retired, and and uh, he would probably love to see you. So our plan next time I go back is to take him out for lunch. Oh, he's, he's probably in his 80s now, but, you know. It's, uh, I'm and, sure he'd love it. But, you know, he was, he's a guy that, uh, you know, very disciplined and very, um, <clears throat> how would I put it, you know, he lived by the rules that he'd been taught, and uh, he taught us those in the kitchen. And, and, you know, one of the things he said, you know, being in a restaurant kitchen is 75% cleaning, 25% cooking. Don't think you're going to be standing at stove. You know, it's about getting ready, keeping it clean, mm. keeping it organized. Uh, and, um, you know, always made sure you were on time and uh, that you uh, looked proper in the kitchen, that you... You know, I learned very quickly that being messy was a no-no. And he told me, he's like, you know, the jacket you wear, the chef's jacket you wear, that's your uniform. You know, you need to respect that as much as, uh, you know, somebody in the military does. That That is what defines you. And um, I mean, if you don't have respect for yourself, who else is going to respect you? Right? Exactly. Yeah. So he taught you to have respect for yourself. He had taught you to... Uh, respect the kitchen, the yeah. space you're working, keeping it clean, keeping it organized. Yeah. What else did he teach you? Um, don't lie about your knowledge. Uh, one time, uh, you know, of course, when you're young, you're cocky and you want, want to show off. And, and he had this beautiful salmon laying on a cutting board. And he said, do you know how to fillet fish? I said, of course, chef. Of course I know how to fillet fish. And I probably cut like two fish in my whole <laughs> life in school. 
and uh, I get up and he hands me his knife and uh, I start cutting everything is going well and then I caught you know on one of the vertebrae and knife was sharp and I pushed hard and I managed to go through the backbone of the fish cut the other fillet in half and a millisecond later he took his clipboard and just smacked me in the back of the head so I saw stars (laughs) and he just looked at me he goes don't lie to me oh man (laughs) and you know since that time every time I put a salmon on my cutting board I still kind of look over my shoulder to see if he's still there you know waiting to smack me (laughs) but uh, you know and and you know I tell people that too it's like you know, when I try to mentor someone, it's like, if you don't know, ask a question, and I will show you. Yeah. But don't try to half-ass it because you want to show off. It's okay not to know, too. You it's know? the best thing not yeah. to know. Yeah, and it's so freeing. Like yeah. When you admit what you don't know and yeah. you are truthful, that's yeah. to carry that burden, that, that a lie on your back, well, right? You it, know, it's what the, they say, uh, you know, man who asks a question... Is a fool for a minute. Man who doesn't ask a question is a fool for life. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. I like that. Um, is there anything else that is worth diving into with this experience, with this this first mentor you had? Any key lessons in this restaurant? And this is a Michelin star restaurant. I don't think yeah, we Michelin star restaurant. It, it was hard work, you know, and it was, but it was rewarding. Uh, they took ex, you know extreme care of us, uh, but it was getting instilled with this discipline and organization of a kitchen that you know learning what the true word of me someplace was you know that you you're gonna fail service if you don't have all the things in place mm. uh and that that is that is key today mm-hmm. and is going to be the key in the future if you don't have any everything in place that you need you're you're going to fail at some point so you were in working in sweden for a couple of years before yeah, making, about four years is there any other experiences in your own mentors were you with this restaurant the entire i was time? with that restaurant pretty much the whole time and i you know didn't make that much money so on my uh days off i would work in some other places that you know, weren't that great, but they paid well. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you got a beer at the end of the shift. I so, got you. Yeah. Uh, so tell us how this opportunity to come stateside happened. Well, I was working with a friend, and I just left the restaurant I was at, which was called Gourmet, and I, I worked at this other restaurant, and the owner uh, had gotten an um, offer by a Swedish insurance company that was building a condo in Sarasota, Florida for him to open the restaurant on the bottom floor. And, and we were asked if we wanted to go and open the restaurant. And, and of course, you know, when you're in Sweden and you get a opportunity, 22 years old, (laughs) uh, I was 19. (laughs) Yeah. Right. You know, to, to go to the, uh, the big land of opportunity, you know, when you're in Europe, you know, United States is a dream. You know, no matter how much people still complain about it over there, everybody thinks it's really cool. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you're, of course, dreaming, you know, I'll be be over there driving a big uh, convertible and be really cool. So, uh, and then come home and brag about it. And uh, 
ended up coming over, working in the restaurant there, went very well, uh, lived in Florida for three years, and a uh, friend that I came over with, he had already moved to California. He gave me a call, and he said, you should come out here. Did you ever get that convertible? No, at that, <laughs> at that point, I had uh, a little Renault uh, with a sardine top, nice. which I crossed the country in. Nice. It, was, it was amazing. I, you know, driving on I-10 the whole way from basically from northern Florida to, to L.A., you know, and every time I got passed by a semi truck or a convoy of semi trucks, that thing almost blew off the road. Off the road. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a little sardine can. So you said this this restaurant went well. The opening of this restaurant yeah. went well. What went well about it? Take us through the. You must have learned it was, something. It was, it was something new there. Uh, we brought a lot with us from Sweden. You know, the menu and so on, and it was very well received. But you know, three years into it, I, you know, I was, I was pretty much done with it. You know, it was either either go home or or do something else and uh so you know what were you feeling what why was it time to do something else were you feeling like you weren't growing were you feeling you know that was right around the time you know i'm I'm kind of a bookworm so you know i was reading a lot of the cooking magazines i remember reading this uh article about napa valley Mm. and there was a, a photo of cindy paulson at mustard's grill and you know she was just kind of slouched in a chair with tennis shoes on and you know an apron no chef jacket and and it was talking about this whole new wave of california cuisine i was like this looks really cool i kind of want to check out what this is so that that was the draw and and uh you know moved out here and and ended up being in orange county for about a year or so did, and did you have a job lined up before getting here not really that's awesome I, it was kind of more of a promise you know so i just packed up all my crap in that car which wasn't that much you know so and uh and drove out it took me like five days and but at this point you're what 22 years now 22 years you're old young yeah. and yeah. i think that's the best thing you can do as a young chef a young cook is just get out there and, and get experience and just go because yeah. the hardest part is just getting all of your stuff together and pulling the trigger and and going right? exactly yeah. i mean it's comfortable to stay somewhere but uh so I just ended up coming out and and you know within, within about two weeks I had a job and and um, were you being really selective? Were you being intentional about the, the work? You no, for my friend that I was uh, that I had worked with, he hooked me up in the restaurant he was working at because he was moving on to another place and and uh, so I basically took his job and and. Uh, but uh, didn't really like Southern California that much. And um, <clears throat> this uh, friend of a friend who had applied for a job in Napa Valley, he went up and decided not to move up. So I'm like, can I have that phone number to that <laughs> restaurant <laughs> that's looking for a chef? And I called him up and I got an interview and ended, ended up moving up like two weeks later. And Nice. So uh, this restaurant, um, was that in the intro? That wasn't... Uh, no, this was a re- restaurant that that uh, crashed and burned later on for other reasons which were fairly interesting. But uh, I'm not speaking poorly about anybody, but being a fly on the wall, knowing what you know today with the experience you've had and the, the quality of restaurants you've worked in and opened what was going on with this restaurant that 
made it interesting, made it not work. It well, the this restaurant was called the Sherry Oven. It was an old winery up in Napa Valley. In in Napa itself, they had restored and um, you know just a beautiful restaurant. And it you know a daily changing menu uh, focused on you know California ingredients. Uh, it really wasn't defined in the sense you know, and that that, that was the thing that there was a lot more freedom of expression in what was going on. You know, I would say after the 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 first wave of the California pioneers like Alice Waters, you know, Joyce Goldstein, Jeremiah Tower, this Mark Miller. This is late Miller. 80s, early 90s, right? No, the, yeah, the, this was earlier than that. And then, you know, Cindy Paulson up in, in Napa, you know, you had all these people that were pioneers in the California cooking. And then, you know, this was kind of the second wave when it really started getting notoriety and uh you know everybody's going what the hell are all these people in california doing you know but, but it, it was you know more exploration of of ingredients uh cross-cultural uh forgotten ingredients I, I mean you know now everybody you know almost blasé with meyer lemons you know and and that was something we had to go and scrunge out of people's backyards you know they weren't <laughs> even available commercially and and uh so uh you know it it was that kind of pioneering spirit within cooking and uh which i thought was just really amazing and and when you use the word like pioneer you're talking like discovery just really getting out there and yeah you know things that we kind of take for granted these days uh, you know that there were you know Here's a big melting pot. So you got a lot of cultures, and every culture brings a lot with them. And uh, you know, so here you were able to cook something French, but you you could add things that were distinctly from you know Latin America or even Asia. I was gonna say know. huge Asian influence. Exactly. I, I mean, yeah. I used to make my little uh, excursions in San Francisco and. Uh, you know, one of the things I would do is just go through Stockton Street on Chinatown and go into shops and buy stuff. I didn't even know what it was. You know, it was um, it was uh, exciting. I remember the first time I bought some durian, you know, the stinky fruit, and and uh, yeah, bags of stuff. I just wanted to go <laughs> home and try it, and I had this fruit, and you know, I was driving back up to Napa, and and halfway up there, I just had to, like, pull over and just get this thing and toss <laughs> it in the field, you know, because it was just... Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was, it was, you know, I'd spent a good amount of money on this thing, and and I just tossed it out. I couldn't stand it anymore. So, let's, I want to zoom to, like, 30,000 feet real quick and get aerial, and identify real quickly for me the, the, the key experiences, the key restaurants, the, the key groups you were a part of that really help form and transform you into who you are today? I, I would say after I'd worked, this restaurant definitely helped me. You know, I mean, I look at my development more as, as you know, developing myself, educating myself. And uh, and then after this restaurant closed, I um, 
I got a job with the Piatti restaurant mm-hmm. in Yontville, and uh, that took me back to a trip, a backpacking trip around Europe that I did. I ended up in, in Liguria in Italy and, you know, spent like two weeks there and just fell in love with the food. So the Italian food had always stayed with me. And um, here I got to get dive into that and, you know, really, you know, it it just sang to me. So, you know, since then I've pretty much been cooking Italian all the time. Yeah. So you said that uh, you're, you're always working on yourself. You're always trying to improve yourself. What, yeah. In what ways, aside from your food knowledge, because um, that's obvious, you know, you're you're – reading all these cookbooks you're 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 exploring you're trying different things but how are you growing personally as a as a as a leader as a as a, a business potential business owner i you know you, you look at people that are inspiring it, it doesn't matter what they do so much it's more about how they you know act and how they've gotten to where they're at you know like i said you know, this quote from a sword master, mm. you know, I mean, yeah, I appreciate knives, but <laughs> I have nothing to do with blacksmithing. But, you know, I, l- I look at people that impart wisdom, whether it's, you know, 2,000-year-old, you know, scholars or, you know, a business leader, you know. So uh, I look at every aspect of business, how it's going to help me, whether it's, you know, how, you know, even though I might not work at the McDonald's, but there might be things that they do. Especially when it comes to systems and processes, exactly. right? Yeah, exactly. And, and I think those are the things that uh, we forget. You know, we tend to go like, oh, I do this, so I'm not going to look at anybody else. But I, I feel you have to look at, you know, talk to people, yeah. ask questions. You know, I've always been very inquisitive, you know, you know, asking probably too many questions than the people want but uh you know just being inquisitive but that's a great lesson though i think people are afraid to ask questions uh it it shows that they don't know something and for some reason it it, maybe it's an ego thing i don't know what it is i think it is yeah i think it is it's it's like people not asking for help Mm. you know when they need help you know, they try to do it themselves. Uh, so many people that I interview, are just, that's one thing that comes up so often is that they're just so inquisitive. They they almost, they ask questions to the point where it's almost irritating, you know? Where it's, yeah. yeah. And I think to be successful, the more knowledge you have, the mm-hmm. more you can apply that, I think the better off you are. You know, you know all these things that have happened are, are you know, through history, you know, a lot of it is failures. Mm. You know, so you want to find out why people have failed and what what other people has succeeded in, you know, so you don't repeat that. Absolutely. Yeah. So any key lessons, any key moments at Piata Restaurant um, that really helped them? You know, I mean, apart from cooking, you know, it is a very successful restaurant group. You know, one of the people that I do consider a mentor there, although he passed away, was CEO Bob Harmon. And not because he was a cook, uh, but he was a very, very good businessman. He was an attorney and uh, an incredibly good businessman. And to learn from him, just sitting, talking to him, talk about business, uh, you know, especially restaurants, uh, and him explaining things that I had 
you know, at that point, no clue about, yeah. you know, things that are taught in business school and law school, you know, that has helped me tremendously where I'm at today. What are the biggest lessons Bob taught you? What are some of these things that you just had no clue about that he kind of helped shine light on? You know, how, how business actually works. How does and, business and, actually work? Well, you know, a lot of times, you know, especially in the restaurant business, you get people who you know, say, I'm so passionate about cooking, I want to cook, and I want to cook. But, you know, in the end of the day, you open up a restaurant to make money. Mm-hmm. And it's a business. Mm-hmm. And inside of that, you do what you love. But it also got to pay the bills. And if you don't know how to do that, you fail. Mm. And that was, you know, you know, before I was a good chef and you keep your food cost in line, but didn't, I knew, but not the depth. You knew that those things were there and that yeah. this was important, but you exactly. didn't know the details of it all. Exactly. And, well, not only details, I probably knew more details on of it, but then how, how do you carry this forward? You know, how do you take all this information, you know, forward to not have one restaurant? How do you make two? How do you make four? How do you make eight? Mm. You know, uh, it was seeing how a businessman would think about things, and uh, that taught me a tremendous amount. So this is the the, the what was the name of this restaurant group? Because he owned multiple restaurants, Bob. Yeah, right? you know they they are uh, now. I think they've changed the name of the group, but uh, you know they owned uh, a couple of resorts. And the idea behind this restaurant was that they would open something casual close to the resort. So the first one was in Yontville, and they owned the Auberge de Soleil uh, luxury resort up in Rutherford. So it was something where they could direct their uh, hotel guests to to have a casual, a little bit more casual, not so fancy French. Uh, and then they ended up opening restaurant in Santa Barbara, where I lived for three years, and where because they had a resort down there too. So, and then they started expanding further and further. So, so one of the things that, during my conversation with your business partner Umberto is the, the, one of the things that when I asked him about you and what appealed mm-hmm. about you or what was so appealing about you for him was that you knew the numbers that you you were a chef who could cook but you were a chef that knew the importance of numbers and could run a kitchen yeah. and that and that could manage a kitchen and and be profitable so is there any other detail any other lesson anything specific that you can share with us that might not be common knowledge oh i don't know if i if there's any secrets i have in that <laughs> sense you know i think i think it's it's common sense and and you know the devil is in the details uh I think, you know, just speaking directly to chefs and people, you know, chefs that want to open their own restaurant, it's a totally different ball game when when you become the owner. You know that that uh, index finger becomes crooked; everything points back to you. You know, you can't point the finger at someone else. And depending on where you worked before, you know, now it's all on you. Yeah, and uh, so you have to be, you have to wear many hats um, you have to become good at things you never thought you had to be good at before uh, and uh, you have to really uh, every decision you make is going to affect your business so you know 
when you're, you know, if, if if something breaks down and you have to call somebody to come out and fix it, you know, pay attention to what they do because next time you might be able to buy that part and not call yeah. that guy. Oh, man. <laughs> and do it yourself with with a screwdriver and and you know i mean some things i i have no clue about and i won't touch electrical things really no, that scares the crap out of me <laughs> but i've become a fairly decent plumber mm. yeah, there's this there's story or quote along the lines of um this big machine maybe it was like a printing press or something went wrong and uh the owner of the printing press called the company to, to come fix the printing press and the uh, the guy gets there and he goes in. He has his little bag and he he looks and he he turns a screw and turns the thing on and it's working perfectly. And he, mm-hmm. you know, writes the invoice up and hands the guy the invoice a thousand dollars. And the owner of the company goes thousand dollars. That seems like a lot of money for turning a screw. And he's like, can you set, you know itemize this? He's like, all right. So um, I think I can't remember exactly how to say it, but the idea is like, you know, uh, turning like I don't know, turning the screw. Um, 10 cents or whatever, mm-hmm. like $1, um, knowing which screw to turn, $999. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, if you pay attention, the point yeah. being, if you pay attention on, and you know which screw to turn, then you can save yourself $1,000. Exactly. And it's, sometimes it's I, easy I've, just I've knowing which screw that to turn. done that a few, a few times, yeah. you know, where, you know, no, I know how to fix that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and when you own your restaurant, that that is key. Yeah. Because, you know, if you can do it yourself for free, you know, then then that money goes in your pocket, not somebody exactly. else's. And it's the, in the, in the, um, a game of small margins. If you can save a thousand dollars, well, especially now, you know, you know, we're battling. You know, our biggest battle is labor costs. Mm. You know, labor costs are rising, but you know, the general public really don't want to pay more for food. We're gonna take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Your job as a restaurant owner or manager is to paint a picture of the job done right and to empower your employees with the tools and knowledge they need to excel. This is why you need to check out Wisetail, a premier learning management system trusted by our industry's most recognized names. With Wisetail, quickly scale your training initiatives across all locations, empower your employees to take control of their own learning and professional growth, foster communication and engagement through their integration training and communication tools and ensure long-term scalable success with the help of their best in breed client experience team. They'll take you from goal setting and implementation to ongoing strategy and best practices training to make sure you maximize your ongoing investment in your training and your programs. And if you use my links, you'll get three months free after signing up for a year contract. Again, that's wisetail.com slash unstoppable or find the banner in the show notes. All right, we're back and I kind of want to unpackage some of these things that you share with us. You said you learned a lot that you, you got to wear a lot of hats. You got to juggle many things. You also said you learned how to move it forward and you learned how to scale the business and apply it. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure what you meant specifically about that, but that's what I'm here to find out. What, what did you mean by that? Well, if you want to expand, you have to, who's going to take care of your current business so you have to put something in place you can't be in two places at one time i mean right now we have a fairly good setup because the restaurants two restaurants we have are in the same building but uh, you know we had third restaurant for a while and you know it was a good 20 minute walk you know and you spend time there 
you know who's here so you do you know you do have to mentor people to step into your shoes so is is that what you meant by how to move it forward is the key yeah. there mentoring people to fill your shoes so you can exactly. be in multiple places yeah i i th- i think if if that is your goal uh to uh expand and and also the fact is that if you want to retain people if you can't move them up if you're the if you're the blockage for anybody's uh you growth, know, growth yeah. as a as a uh, chef or a dining room manager or what have you at some point they're going to leave yeah if you don't give them the opportunity somebody else is yeah and, exactly and you can't blame them for taking the opportunity no. and there's many times where there's not going to be the opportunity but uh, because you might only have one place and that's all you want so in that case then your job is to make sure that the person that you have that is helping you, that you set them up for success in their next endeavor. Can you be specific on, um, I wanted to dive into what you just said. I didn't really digest that until after I started talking again. But before we get into that, how you set them up for success and whatever other endeavor they are about to take on, how are you setting up for success within your business? Give me an idea of how you're moving them forward. How are you moving their career forward? I I think by letting go, you know, by showing people, you know, what your expectations are, uh, teaching them what you know. I I think that when you have acquired knowledge, some people hold on to it and they don't want to share it because they're afraid that somebody's going to take over. But uh, I think the most important thing you can do is to to share the knowledge that you've acquired. Yeah. So so because you can actually learn from that too because somebody else can expand to on it and uh and also see how it works for somebody else yeah uh, so once you get that going whether they're going to take push you forward and push you up m- let you expand because you can't expand if nobody that's helping you knows anything mm you know, you're stuck doing what you're doing. Uh, but if you teach people and trust people, uh, and you have to accept that not only yourself, you are going to f- have failures along the way. Things are not going to go as planned. But you also have to accept that other people are going to fail in what they do. Um, what happens when they do fail under your tutelage? How do you handle that? You just... I think what I found worked best is you analyze what happened, move forward, don't do it again. (laughs) (laughs) So, you um, know, don't dwell on it. A lot of people tend to dwell on their mistakes, but, you know, I mean, I I always feel that, you know, the the road to success is paved with failures. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's in the process of elimination, uh, you know, to to get one thing right, you have to fail a million times doing other things till you get that one thing. Wow, that, now it works. Yeah. And and uh, you know, I th- I think if you have the mindset that you want to do it perfect the first time, uh, you're you're either going to overthink things or you're not going to dare doing it. Mm. You, you know, because you have to. You know, it's certain freedom. I think in your it frees your mind when you go like, "Hey, this might fail." I mean, I have plenty of plenty of dishes that you know you go like, "I'm going to try this," and then 
you know, the under assault goes in the bin. But you don't know until you know. And that's, exactly. And that's how you find out. That, and that's how you progress. Yeah. And that's how you get better. Yeah. And just to summarize, like the big takeaway I, I, I want to pull from what you just shared with us is that your success is directly proportionate to how many other people you make successful. Exactly. You know, and the more yeah. people you can make successful, the more you're surrounding yourself with yeah. that cushion, right, of, of people that are competent and that can you plug into different places. Oh, and yeah, you're only as good as your team, right? Yeah. And, um, and uh, you know, I think it's, you know, the further I can go and the further other people can go, you know, that to me is success. You know, yeah. I mean, I see success in people that have worked for me previously that are very successful now and and you feel proud that they've accomplished what they've done and you feel you have a part of it and then you have to wonder would they be where they're at today if i wouldn't have imparted some right. kind of knowledge it uh, must be the most rewarding thing right yeah. there um one other thing that you you shared and i want to pull back some layers on it is that it's your obligation to make sure people are, are successful, even if it's not with you. You mentioned if they're going on to um, pursue another uh, opportunity with somebody else, and you have to set them up for that transition. Yeah. It's your job to, to help them make that trans to get into that. I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Get into that. Well, you know, I mean, if if, if you if you have somebody, let's say a sous chef, that said, "Hey, you know, I have a um, opportunity to become a chef de cuisine at." another place uh this opportunity doesn't exist here and you go i'm sorry you know because that would mean you kicking me out uh you want to make sure that when that person leaves that they have everything they need to be successful in that job because at the end of the day whoever hired them you're gonna look like well this guy talked a good game and he came from a place with you know good reputation but he doesn't know crap yeah it's gonna make me look bad exactly you're now tying your name to this individual exactly and they're going to your their success is going to reflect on your ability to set them up for success right awesome i love it um anything else you want to share regarding that the importance of um of knowing that you 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 have a almost a commitment to your people even beyond your restaurant, I think you do. Uh, I think you know. We always tell ourselves that you know this is a people business. It's, it's a business to make people happy, and 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 that includes our employees. Mm-hmm. You know, I think is really really important. You don't have to be best buddies and hang out with people, but I think it's really important to care for to them. care for them and. And recognize that their individuals, you know, know something about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always going to open people up a little bit more when you talk to them about where they're from. You know, how's their family? How's your kid? How's your kids doing in school? Uh, little things like that goes a long way just to genuinely care for the people that you work with. That you work with and uh, that we... Um, yeah, how would I put it? You know, we're in the hospitality industry. We have to to be 
hospitable to the people that that work with us too yes uh i'm loving what you're sharing with us and you know listening to you talk it's just reminding me of the mission statement of restaurant unstoppable is to inspire empower and transform the industry when i say transform the industry what i mean by that is i think that the industry has gotten very transactional in nature Uh, and it's all about the bottom line it's all about uh how how can i move my business forward and what when i say i want to transform the industry i mean i want to transform the culture to make people realize that it needs to be more transformative that we have an obligation to each other then it's it's not just about the bottom line and that it's about us we as a collective right i don't think we will have a bottom line if we don't transform the industry yeah Uh, you know like i said it's it's still a people business yeah you know they you can't you can't cook remotely you know yeah you can deliver food which is a different topic but uh but i think that you know the what i've realized over my years in career my career is not i can't i'm not doing this for myself what what i do is my job is to make people happy mm. and that's through my you know through my cooking and uh you know that's essentially why people come to my restaurant you I know they want, they want to leave with a smile on their face i love you it know, you want to make their day better you know if it was bad and and you want them you know so so that yeah, I'm in the happiness business. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, bringing it back to your your timeline, your track. Uh, you, this is probably where you learned the most about opening restaurants with this restaurant group because that was part of your role to go yeah. in and, and to open restaurants. Any lessons you learned the hard way, or any things you did wrong when when opening a restaurant? That oh, but there's there's plenty of things. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I think when you're opening a restaurant is one. You know, especially if it's your first restaurant you're opening, you know, be prepared for a lot of things to go wrong. You know, the deliveries are not going to show up on time and so on. And make that list. Make that list, check it off, communicate to people constantly. Uh, You know what you're doing. Uh, Let them know that they have to communicate to you so you know what they're they're doing. Yeah. You know, and... And then have a plan. Don't, you know, you see a lot of restaurants that open up with big fanfare and then, you know, they start scaling back, you know, scale up, don't scale down. You know, I would say, you know, you see these restaurants that open up like right off the bat, seven days a week, breakfast, lunch, dinner, brunch. And then, you know, Two months into it, yeah, we're cutting out Saturday brunch, yeah, because that's not. Well, think about that. You maybe only had ten, oh. cu- ten customers, but now you're pissing off those ten yeah. customers that can't come on Saturday because they're it's busy. Not, on it's Sunday. not a good sign, too. No. It suggests a and lot. It's exhaustive. Mm. You know, opening a restaurant is exhaustive. Yeah. So, you know, when you scale up, you're n- you're not going to have a day off for three to four months, maybe even more. So, scaling up is key uh, because you're going to be dead tired every day you go home, and if you don't have that drive the next day to get up and do it again, you need that edge. 
you know, you're, you're pointing out something that I think is probably the most overlooked, under uh, considered reason why new restaurants fail, and it's because they try to do too much too yeah. soon. And you, you can always add on. Exactly. If you start where you can and start as small as possible, yeah. right, and make it as manageable as yeah. possible, um, then you you start you. Know, you slowly grow over time. These exactly. these big restaurants that that new restaurants are trying to be out of the gates didn't start there. They yeah. started small and scaled into exactly. that. And I would think we we use that as an aiming point. We want that right now. It yeah. doesn't happen right away. Oh, you know, you're very impatient because you know there's a big investment. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's 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 a small corner place, mom and pop. Or, you know, a big corporation. It's a big investment for yeah. everybody. And on yeah. that note of just starting where you can, start. anybody listening to this, start now. Start where you can right now. And that might be as little as dinner parties at your house. Yeah. You know, create a website, get your name out there, whatever your name is, .com, right? Develop yeah. a personal brand, start collecting emails, and start doing your thing. And test the market. Yeah. Develop a name for yourself. You can do that right now, right today. Yeah. Um, and that's small. Yeah, <laughs> All, exactly. What's the overhead for yeah. that? Your, 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 your apartment. Yeah. So sorry for that little rant, but yeah, no, it's true. Yeah. Uh, Anything else uh, with this restaurant group before we we transition to your next experience? I think there was one more restaurant you worked at in between. Yeah, I was at uh, with the Kempton Group. Yes, yes, that's right. The Scholars Piece. No, at Piatti, you know. Then after you know, a good amount of years, probably about seven years there, it was time for me to leave. You know, after a while, the the position I had was. you know, when I left, we had like 13 restaurants in six states. And, wow. and for me, I, I am a very kitchen-driven person. And, you know, now I was in charge of all these people that were running kitchens. Mm. So in the end, it, it for me, which is, is another thing, I think, that when you take those positions that, you know, you think is glamorous, but... For a while, I, I felt like I was solving other people's problems, you know, whether they had a food cost problem or labor cost, you know, I had to go in and fix that. And uh, then changing menus, training people. I never felt I had a kitchen of my own. Mm. And, you know, I started longing for that. So yeah, for somebody who loves to cook, yeah. and that's your passion. And you want to have your team and you want to build them up. And I, I felt a little bit like an outsider at, at the end. So, But I had learned a tremendous amount. So it was time for me to move on. What was the biggest lesson you learned in this time before we move on to your next experience? As I said, you know, looking at restaurants not only as a place for a chef to be in the kitchen and cook and, you know, doing what they, you love, but also look look at it as a business and uh, you know to be able to separate the two but also combine the two and and make them work harmoniously that uh, you know like I said you, you create a product that you sell to people to make them happy so there are so many other things that go into putting a you know, than just putting out a plate of food. So when you were looking for your next opportunity, were you looking for some, for something that was a little more hands-on back in the kitchen? Uh, what, yeah. what was your school of thought? What were you thinking? Because you, uh, you kind of climbed the ladder to the yeah, end run. Yeah, I, 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 I felt I was getting, getting out of touch a little bit with what I actually got into the business in the first place. So what was most important for you in the next job you got? To be in the kitchen and be, be with 
have a little bit more continuity with the people that I w were with and be able to mentor them and, and have teamwork and you know be able to create and throw ideas off of people that I'm working yeah. with every day. I find it really interesting. And this is something that I, I see a trend often when I talk to people. We have these aspirations to, to get the you know, to, to grow our, our, our career, to get the next job, to do all these things, to, to be as successful, quote unquote, as possible. And we get to that point and we realize I miss where I was. You know, I miss. Yeah. We, we, I think we put so much value on uh, the title, the job, the, the, the cash flow. And yeah. We realize the things that make me the most happy were, you know, the, the, the relationships, the, the work that I do, the thing, you know. Yeah. Um, did you find that to be true? Yeah. You know, it's great when you can say, hey, I'm corporate chef, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But I remember one night I was in one of the restaurants and I was cooking and and uh, this older lady came up to me and, you know, she was staring at me. And, and then she goes, are you the cook? <laughs> and, you know, it kind of stopped me dead in my tracks and... and you know, I kind of wanted to blurt out. It's like, no, I'm the chef. <laughs> and I looked at it for a second and I said, yes, I am. And she goes, this was really, really good. <laughs> and it, it, I don't know why I said that, but it's, it sticks with me, you know. And, and it goes back to, you know, now everybody wants to call himself a chef. And, and you know, the word chef really only means you know you're the boss you're you're the you're the guy that took on the responsibility for the whole thing and they say there's a lot of great chefs out there that can't cook you know they can run you know you have people that run you know these big giant corporate hotels in vegas you know thousand employees and they don't cook much but they know how to manage people. They know how to but manage systems. But they know how to yeah. manage the system. Yeah. And then you have incredible cooks who can't become chefs. They don't have the maybe the leadership ability. Emotional intelligence, yeah. social exactly. intelligence. Exactly. So, you know, what it, my title is a chef, but I define myself as a cook. Mm. You know, that, that's what I am. That's what I will always be. I love it. I love it. So at the Kimpton Group, um, I think it's worth probably spending a little time here before we talk about how yeah. this, this evolution of your own businesses became. No, I, you know, I was offered a job as, as a chef at Scala's Bistro, you know, here in San Francisco. A big place, uh, you know, high volume, breakfast, lunch, and dinner It's in a hotel. It's still rolling on today. And, uh, you know, it was a new experience for me. I never worked in a hotel before. And uh, the Kimpton Group was different at that point because they kind of uh, separated the hotels and the restaurant. You know, the restaurant wasn't just an amenity, you know, like in most hotels. Uh, they wanted the hotel to be the hotel and the restaurant to be the restaurant. So th th there was a different school of thought. And th that was another place where, you know, I kept honing business skills, you know, about how 
how business should run and what things mattered. Um, what so, the biggest? How did you, how did your your knowledge and experience evolve in this time? Where were you? And where, where did you end up? Well, at that that point, you know, being with Piatti, I already had some good business knowledge. So, you know, here was a little bit different because of. You know, now you got a hotel and all these things, how things worked. And it, it, it was just very interesting. I mean, so I, I was, you know, like sponge soaking it up and, and, and at the same time being in the kitchen where I could express myself and, and cook at the same time and continue honing my skills. So, you know, it, it, it was a great experience. I was there for seven years. So, uh, you know, really loved it. And uh, like I said, uh, because they were opening a lot of restaurants, I got to partake in some of their restaurant openings, and that's how Umberto and I really started striking up conversations. Because we, you know, would go to these places and help with the opening, you know, mm-hmm. help the chef there, and and uh, you know, they would bring in a team, which also something, you know, when you have your own own restaurant, you you don't have that luxury. You can't call up, you know bunch of buddies and say hey i need help opening a restaurant and they're like yeah right you're on your own (laughs) um but you know here you you had luxury of that where you know you would have four or five chefs and you know four or five general managers coming in and just kind of doing grunt work for the key people and uh helping out making sure that they had a successful restaurant opening and and uh you know, Umberto and I, as I said, were were part of them, and and uh, it was a lot of fun. And, yeah. And uh, you know that that's how we started talking. I had met Umberto many many years before that in Orange County when I oh, lived really? there. Yeah. You know, I, I was working at this one restaurant, and and they opened up this new Italian restaurant like next door to us, uh, and and decided to go over and just kind of like neighbors saying hi and Umberto was there and and he was a director of operations got introduced to him and then after that you know our our, our paths kept crossing mm-hmm. till you know one day I got a phone call from him and it's like you want to open a restaurant <laughs> it's like we've been doing this long enough for other people you know are you interested and and that's how it started. I think his, your answer was literally like, just like, sure. Yeah. Like, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, what do you, like, you just, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, which I thought was hilarious when you told the story. But one thing, I, and I make this statement a lot, and it's something I truly believe that um, to really be competitive and be the best in the restaurant industry today, I don't think you can do it alone anymore. I don't think. No, you can't. You need a partner. You need somebody to, to, to focus. I have been incredibly fortunate because. <clears throat> You know, Umberto is is so well versed in what goes on in the front of the house that I don't have to worry about mm-hmm. that. You know, you, I see a lot of my colleagues, chefs that open up their own restaurant. They go like, "Oh my God, I have get a new general manager. He doesn't know what I want, and I have to be out there." And he, I I don't have to worry about that. Yeah, he he's he he has forgotten more about service than a lot of people out there will ever know you know it's it's, you know he's a wealth of information and he's just an incredible you know 
person in hospitality. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it just there's something to be said about the, the the power of being able to divide and conquer. Yeah, and I don't think we put enough emphasis on the emotional strain and thought that goes into having to manage somebody else who isn't yeah. a part. Like who doesn't have skin in the game, yeah. right? Because nobody's going to show up to your business harder than you are going to show up the owner, right? To oh, work yeah. for your business. So when you have somebody else that has skin in the game who's yeah. going to show up, and you guys want 50-50, right? Right down the yeah. middle. So, you know, you don't to, – to remove that, that mental energy suck yeah. of having to worry about somebody and replace somebody yeah. and train somebody and that – is so under like valued. Uh, oh yeah, you yeah. Know, no, the, I mean having having the right partner in the business. Yeah. Is, and 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 like you said, you can't do it alone. No. The, so the, you know, it's not just about putting nice food on the plate. Yeah. So I mean, I think it's it's obvious one of the the, the first things that might have attracted you to Umberto as a business partner. Oh yeah. Is the fact that he. Um, is strong in the front of the house and your focus is in the back of the yeah. house, right? So that's the one thing. What else is it about Umberto that makes a good business partner? How What was going on that made you think that this was going to be a good idea to, to go into business with this man? I think because we have similar backgrounds in the sense of we both... Immigrants or... Well, that- not, not so much being immigrants, but, you know, we both kind of took the long road going from, mm-hmm. you know, from the very bottom and up and then working our way up and we had to put in a lot of hard work to get there and and you know i saw that i was like you know this guy is not afraid of working mm. you know and and because i know that's what it takes yeah back uh, to how we started the interview great yeah. in hard, hard work right yeah and uh you know i mean if i can work seven days a week i will but you know it's not good for you really but <laughs> but uh, you know there's always something to do so, uh, you know, yeah, this is my life. So reflecting back at Burbaco, um, opening Burbaco, uh, what did you do right? I mean, there's so many experiences that you've had up to this point opening restaurants. How are you going to tackle Burbaco to, to do it right? And, and why was it a, su- a success in your opinion? Well, I think it had to do a lot of, lot of things. I, I think choosing location, which... You know, some people poo-pooed. They were like, eh, it's okay. <laughs> and that we overcame that. And then I, th- I Wait, think... What do you mean they, they, they weren't... They were kind of like, that's not a great location. Okay. You know, and... Uh, Wasn't it... Oh, it was... Uh, Umberto mentioned that one of his past... He brought one of uh-huh. his past mentors. Yeah. And, and he gave like a B minus or B something. B minus. Yeah. It's like, it's okay, but it's not great. And, yeah. and people are like, oh, you're going to be down there. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, and I think the fact that, you know, one of the things, we hit the market at the right time. Mm. And, you know, we opened up a restaurant there was nothing similar to what we were doing. So that made it very attractive. Um, and um, I think, you know, we were lucky. We we went back and forth. You know, we did our tastings. And, and we, you know, one thing that I've learned over the years with, you know, especially with food, you know, for as much as I love to cook, I... I've learned not to become personally attached to dishes uh, because, you know, cooking is about criticism. I, I'm, my, I'm my worst critic. 
And, you know, when people, people tell us, oh, you could do this different or this is not good or, you know, you should not do that. You know, a lot of people become very, very defensive because they're so What's personally attached yeah. to it. And I'm like, okay. And then you take it back and disseminate it. And it's like, okay, he said this and this and this. And you start working on it again. You move forward. You know, it's like that they didn't like it. It's not a reflection on you. Mm-hmm. It's a reflection on the dish. Uh, and you just have to take it for what it is. And, you know, that has always been great with Umberto uh, is that, you know, we give each other criticism and and it's not about to put somebody down. It's about make our business better. Mm-hmm. You know, so when he criticizes something that I do, you know, take it back. You go, yeah, you're right. Yeah, and I think what's the trick to getting into that mindset to detach yourself to from making it less personal and more just constructive. I th- I think, you know, it's hard because some people are so passionate about what they do and they think that what they've done is so incredible, but if you can't criticize it yourself, uh then there's something wrong. I feel there's something wrong. You know, yeah. when you go like, oh, what, you know, when you still, I'm always say I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied and happy with what I do, but I'm never, you know, I'm always looking for more. So you said at one point you had three restaurants, right? Mm-hmm. Um, was, was there a restaurant in between Barbaco? No, it was after Barbaco was our restaurant okay. Volta. So we'll start with Barbaco real quick. Um, how did this restaurant come to be? Kind of funny because we, when we wrote up the prospectus uh, for Perbaco to go out to our investors, uh, we, um, you know, I was the one typing it out. Uh, that's one thing I got to say with Umberto is not the best on computers, <laughs> you know, or typing things out. Times have changed. He's been in the industry yeah. for how long? I know. You know, like, I can't blame the guy. And so, so I was the one typing out our, our business proposal and the whole thing and the story. And just for some, I don't know what reason, you know, when we when we looked at this space, you know, where Barbaco is today was kind of crappy deli. Uh, and when I say crappy, it was not good. Um, didn't you? Didn't you say? I don't want to ruin the story, but didn't you like say something to, to Umberto along the lines of like that's going to be ours someday? Or? I actually wrote <laughs> on the bottom of our business plan and said. And for the space next door, Barbaco, more to come. Uh, I already put a name to it. And and he, Umberto looked at me, what's that? And he goes, we'll take over that one day. <laughs> He's like, you're crazy. And and uh, then we started talking about it after a couple of years here. In you know, business was rolling. And, and uh, so we actually went in to the owner of Delhi. And he, he was like, yeah, I want a half a million for this place. And we're like. You know, it's not even worth. It's not worth that. And uh, so we were like, okay, let's let's think about something else. And and then six months later, the, the landlord came to us and says, you know, the space is going to be vacating. And goes, Do you want it? Because we have other, you know, people looking at it. And it was same landlord. 
Yeah, nice. same landlord, and yeah, it's in the same building. We're sitting right above it, and and the uh, the fact was that we were going into the 2008 recession, and it was like, okay, we're going to open a restaurant in in this business environment. You know, people are losing their houses, yeah. and you know, businesses are closing. And I said, you know, let's open something casual, you know, not something that we have at Perbaco. Let's open up something that's a lower price point that more people can afford and and do something different, but of the same quality. Were the assistants going to hang out while their bosses are getting dinner next door? That was our thought, <laughs> but it actually proved to be wrong, you know, because now we have a good mix of, you know, our regulars that come here for lunch on Monday, they go to Barbaco on Tuesday, mm-hmm. you know. They just want, you know, maybe something a little quicker and... You know, maybe they're eating alone instead of having a client lunch or something yeah. like that. So. I think there's there's two or three things at least that I want to pull from what you just share with us. First, when you're when you're looking at a space, your original space, right? Um, look around it mm-hmm. and see what opportunity is right on the the immediate satellite. If, if there's a space that has two or three locations like that are abut it that look like they're on their way out, or that you just yeah. kind of if you have that that trained eye and you know that they don't have a long future you know like that's opportunity and if you can absorb um assets that are right next to your business exactly even if it's just a space that's there and you know even if you have your place and then you start dreaming about you know doing something different next door or a couple of doors down you know even if you're doing that it's a mental exercise and there's nothing wrong with dreaming and dreaming is free and I, and I think, but you got to set yourself up to scale, yeah. right? You need to have the the. If you can make it easier, if you can if you can look not just at what this restaurant is, but what the next couple restaurants, yeah. and, and if you can have it with within walking distance or right next door, then exactly. you can be in two places. And, and not only that, you know the the you know when you're in the restaurant business, you know you can't cram everything into one place, you know, especially if you're creative, you know, you have because. After a while, your your restaurant is going to define itself for what it is. Yeah, and you know, then you uh, you know have all these ideas, new ideas, new influences. You might have gone on a trip somewhere, and you go like, "Oh, I'm really excited about doing this." And then you look at your restaurant, and it's like, "I can't do this here," and it frustrates me. Well, you might be able to do this two doors down. Mm. You know, in a different format. You yeah. Know, so, uh, you know, and that's a way of moving forward. Yeah. I think the other underlying um, message that I've, I've, I found that I pulled that just came to mind is that if you want something, let it be known. You, yeah. You know, tell the, the person that you're interested in buying or whatever. Because would would the would the landlord have came over and told you that that property would have been for sale if you didn't go and let it be known that you wanted it in the first place? You know, Probably. So well, maybe. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But you got to put it. You got to put it out there. Yeah. You got to you got to put it into the universe. Yeah. So so the the universe can reciprocate. Yeah. You know. So uh, any other things that I'm missing from that 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 are worth pulling to the surface? No, I I, I think you know I think it, for us it was great timing, how it happened. Perbaco was doing great, you know, it was a new restaurant and and uh, and that we did it so close together was tough. But at the same time, we were able to take uh, some of our uh, key people in the team uh, to basically promote them. Yeah. One of the sous chefs that were here, she became the the chef next door and one of the assistant managers became the general manager. So I, th- I think... 
you know, when you can grow uh, steadily, you know, you also provide that opportunity for other people. Awesome. Um, so the only thing I would like to talk about is this this third restaurant that you opened. Um, what was the story behind that? Well, you know, we very successful with these two places, and you know, we constantly. You know, either get approached by people saying, "Oh, we've got this space." You know, success the, attracts you know, exactly. Success, you yeah. know, and uh, you know, then we said, "Okay, is it time for us?" You know, this was like 2014, and and we're like, uh, "Yeah, we're getting the itch. We want to do something new." And then we're like, "Are we going to do Italian again?" And you know, it'd been a lot of Italian restaurants opening, and and we kind of felt that, uh, you know. Do we really need to add another one to mm-hmm. the mix? So Umberto said, why don't we do something out of your heritage? You know, Scandinavian, Swedish, and, uh, you know, having lived and worked in Stockholm, I always remember these. And they're still there, you know, these old brasseries. You know, they're kind of a hybrid French-Swedish food. You know, you go in and you have your, you know, steak frites, and there's pickled herring and you know there's meatballs on the menu and, and so on you know i said you know why don't we go to sweet so umberto and i went to stockholm for a week and and he was like wow you know this is really really cool and uh great food and so we came back and started working on that we found location and you know got our architect on board we got people wanting to invest with us and we opened up volta and the name Volta, you know, basically meaning a turn away from what we've been doing, you know, going in a different direction. And uh, everything went great. Um, the only thing we did wrong was location was kind of turned to crap. So what was it about the location? Get specific. How can we avoid making the same mistake? Well, you know... The space was great. It was in a, in a larger shopping center, but on the outside, the business that was there was failing. Uh, there was a ton of restaurants around us that were doing great, also newly open. So it kind of was building up to this new kind of uh, different area of San Francisco that up and coming and you know a lot of development going on and so on so we're like hey let's get in on the ground floor of this and and you know it'll be tons of people you know the convention center was rebuilding and so on Uh, so we opened the restaurant great accolades uh great reviews what was it about the the location specifically though you know then little by little we saw a couple of other restaurants close not making it and a lot of it had to do with in the infrastructure of San Francisco. Um, <laughs> Which I got to experience firsthand. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, you know, the developments that were going to happen, you know, suddenly were in litigation because, you know, there's lawsuits and uh, and so on. And so they're they're delayed and, you know, the convention center is taking longer than it should, mm. and then you have to deal with, uh, you know, the the social situation of San Francisco. You know, you know, just to be blunt and honest, you know, when you have 
homeless people outside your restaurant door, you know, making a mess, and you call cops or security, nothing is happening. And suddenly we started seeing a decline in business, and and uh, after a couple of incidents would you know, happening around us and media saying, hey, this is not a safe area to go in and and uh, it just dropped off from there. So we had to make the decision at one point. It's like, do we go out and ask for more money to keep this going or is that just going to be a Band-Aid? Yeah. Or do we pull the plug and be done with it and move on and that's what we did it hurt yeah i can imagine but for the record 60 you're shooting 66 percent right now that's a that's pretty good record well you know know, i mean mean, mean, if if you're a baseball player that would put you in the in the hall of fame right exactly (laughs) um and even for like you know even danny meyer has closed restaurants i mean that the the, the most successful people you know close restaurants you, you you hear it you never want to believe that it's going to happen to you and now it has, and uh, it still stings a little bit because we're both attached to it. And and you know the fact that everything was right except for, you know, in hindsight, we we probably didn't do enough research on the location that we should have. Uh, well, you thought the convention center was coming. It was in a pool. Th- there was business. so so many things around it that were very positive. But but uh, you know, as in retrospect, if we would have picked another location, we probably would be still in, in business so today. The only question I can think to ask, uh, or the most important question I think I can think to ask right now is, when do you know it's time to say, "Well, we tried." And like, is there like a bottom line, or is there is there a point that's like, yeah, oh. where you're bleeding money? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there, there is a point where where you have to look at, you know, the business you're doing currently when it, when it's going down, and you look at how much money do we need to put back into this, and what is the timeline that is going to put us back in the black. You know, I think too many restaurants hold on, that are failing, hold on too right. long. Yeah. But, it, but, you know, it's a hard decision to make because, you know, it's personal investment. Mm-hmm. You know, not only of time and and emotions, but there's there's personal investments in money you know a lot of people sink their last cent into it and they need it to be you exactly know, it's like they burnt the ship there's no turning yeah, back exactly and uh you know i think that's that's where you have to make make the decision no matter how hard it is is to to accept the failure learn from it move on and and take care of what you have uh, you know, th- there's so many horror stories of people that you know they save money all their life to to open up their dream, and then it's not going that well, and then suddenly they start taking out a second mortgage. Well, it's like, wait a second, now you're now you're going to be homeless. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you might not have a restaurant, but at least you have a home. Yeah, you can get another job. You know, so it's when you get to that point where putting too much money into it for what it's worth 
that's what that's when you you really have to look yourself in the mirror and believe me it was hard Chef Stefan, I've loved the free-flowing portion of this conversation. Yeah. Uh, you've been extremely valuable. Uh, great advice. I like to wrap up every chat um, before going to the speed round, asking my guests, uh, first reminding them the mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. Yeah. And how have you transformed? Who, who are you today? Who's the, who the man you are today versus the man you were when you got into this industry? Um, I'm a lot calmer. Uh, I'm not as hot-headed and so on i've figured out you know as i'm getting older that you know you know before it was all about the the yelling and screaming chefs and it's like you know that's exhausting (laughs) you know it's it's and you don't don't really get anywhere with it you know you're taking steps back Uh, i think i think yeah there's going to be moments that you get emotional about something, but but keep it in check. And 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 you know, if if you feel that you are so knowledgeable, you utilize knowledge that you have to deal with situations. And and don't you know, don't make you know turn people away from you. Make them believe you, even when times are bad. And and try to instill what you know uh, to move them forward. You know, especially when you, when you're going. I shouldn't say I'm in the in the end of my career. I don't feel that at, at all. I feel I still have a few more years in me. <laughs> uh, but uh, you're seasoned. You're ready. Exactly. You know? Yeah. But but you know, now it's the time for me to take what I know and and teach you know and help the next generations to be successful at what I've been enjoying. Well, we appreciate you taking the time to share your story and your knowledge today. It was a a pleasure making an example of you. One more quick break to thank our sponsors, and we're going to bust out a true speed round. If you're sick of paying multiple vendors and services to outfit your restaurant needs only to deal with the frustrations of technology that's clunky and void of that seamless experience that you so need, then you've got to check out Restaurant 365, a cloud-based restaurant-specific accounting and back-office platform that seamlessly integrates with your POS system, payroll provider, food and beverage vendors, and banks. With Restaurant 365, you'll have real-time reporting and analysis to make the best and most data-driven decisions. No more guessing. Other features include detailed daily and labor data from your POS system, accounts payable automation, automated bank reconciliation, incorporated inventory management with guidance on reducing your food costs, and scheduling features to reduce labor costs and engage your employees, all saving you time, money, and headaches. Take action today and find out how Restaurant 365 is saving restaurant owners up to 5% on prime costs. That's awesome. Head over to restaurant365.com slash unstoppable and qualify for 30% off implementation and get a free inventory build within the system, a value of 5K. Bento Box is more, much, much more than just another restaurant website developer. It is a hospitality platform designed to disrupt third-party services that come between the restaurant and 
and the guest. Bento Bucks puts the restaurant first and offers tools that drive high margin revenue directly through the restaurant website. These tools allow you to easily update menus, promote and sell events, share your press and media attention with the world, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and much, much more. In other words, Bento Box puts you in control so that you can focus on what matters most, your restaurant. Bento Box is trusted and loved by over 5,000 restaurants worldwide because they empower restaurants to own their presence, profits, and relationships online. Sign up today at getbento.com slash unstoppable. One more time, that is getbento.com slash unstoppable. We're back, and the first question I have for you is what is your it's factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Uh, never stop. You know. Oh, you're unstoppable. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't, you know, I, I keep going. I love it. What yeah. is your biggest weakness? I tend to get into my head too much in, mm. in certain times, you know, and, and I have to pull myself out, you know, not overanalyze things. What is one question you, you ask or thing you look for when you're building your team? What was the first place you got a job at and why? What are you looking for? You know, for honesty. You know, I mean, I, I tell people my story. I mean, to be honest with you, the first restaurant job I had was a dish as a dishwasher, and I needed money so I could buy tickets to the Clash concert that was coming up <laughs> two months later. Yeah. You know, Honesty I, is so important, right? Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, you know, it's get an honest answer from people uh, and try, try to find out why they really got into it. And, you know, when they answer honestly and say, hey, I worked as a dishwasher because I need money, you mm-hmm. know, that's honest. Yeah. What is your biggest challenge today? Oh, biggest challenge? Uh, I think it's, for for me, it's finding enough people, and especially in this area, that can afford to work in restaurants because no it doesn't pay as much as being a software developer yeah. and uh, I think it's the biggest challenge is, is is our job pool is dwindling and it's hard or, to get into or, the city or, yeah. I mean, it's which hard to get I in and, this morning. and uh, it's hard for people to make it work and, and you have to make you have to look at that too you know the people that come and work for you are people also that need to pay bills mm-hmm. and you know to find that balance that you can get somebody to come and work for you where they can afford at least somewhat of a good life yeah i think it's really important that restaurant owners get on the same page and yeah. realize that hey we need to stop competing against each other yeah. to 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 cuz we just react to the market we re- yeah. react against each other yeah and we need to get on the same page and say, hey, like, we're all going to slowly raise our prices over the next six months to be yeah, able that, to, to. That's the reality. Of it. We have you know, to communicate. We have to get on the same page. And I think everybody's in the same same boat, too. You know, not only us, but our purveyors. Yeah. Uh, the people that, that bring us the food, you know, they have to raise their prices. And, and but, but I think it's, 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 I think that's the greatest challenge of. We're getting people actually wanting to work in the restaurants. Mm, I bet. Yeah. So share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a way to be, a way to act. 
a core value. A core value for me? Yeah. Be nice to people. I love it. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? Something that's common within your four walls, but not common within the industry. Ooh. I don't know. That's an important That's hard to... Uh, that's hard to define. I can't answer that question. I'm I'll stumped. You, I'll give you a pass. <laughs> <laughs> what is one book that's a must-read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? Ooh. There's so many. Um, you can give me two if you can't think of one. You know, for a chef, you definitely have to. Uh, you have to pick up an older version of Escoffier. <laughs> 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 you have you have to you you have to do that just from the history knowledge uh, of cooking. But why the older version? I'm curious. Uh, because they've been edited yeah. and redone and so on, you know, you know, you find find some older ones that that they're a little bit more true. Maybe uh, an older one with someone's notes in it. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, I also think you know it's funny because I I read a lot. Of, I remember the one it's called One Minute Manager. Yeah, that, that was a good book. What was the big was, lesson from that book? Yeah. Uh, you know, to, you know, really, you know, look at, the, you know, wh- one of the lessons that stood out to me in, in that book was one where uh, said, you know, if I give you my car keys, can you start your own car? And the answer is no, which means that, you know, not every person works the same. Yep. You know, you can't treat everybody exactly the same. There, there, there's. You have to recognize how to deal with each individual, and I think that that was a key lesson. I also like those little books called, you know, "Don't Sweat the Small Stuff." Okay. You know, they're, they're like, you know, one-page chapters, and and I think that uh, from that teaches you that okay you have to be able to do so many things going on in a restaurant you have to be able to define what's important now and what is uh what can wait prioritize right? exactly you already mentioned the value of a list and if yeah. you incorporate prioritization yeah. to a list yeah that's when a list gets super valuable yeah exactly um so i know that the one minute and, manage- and also I've, i always tell people it's like don't just look at the list. There's so many other things that are not on there <laughs> yeah. that you need to see yourself. Yeah. I, I know that the One Minute Manager is uh, on Audible. So if you head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable, you can get that book for free if you're not already yeah. an Audible member. And I don't know if you listen to audiobooks, but they've changed my I life. Yeah. yeah. I mean, especially people that are so busy yeah. in this industry. Like, I don't push a lot in the podcast, but audiobooks is one thing that yeah. I think everybody in this industry should. Hey, you know, especially when when you're sitting in the car and you're stuck in traffic, it's perfect. Yeah. You know, you're not doing anything else than frustrating yourself. So, you know, if you can plug in something, might as well enjoy it. <laughs> exactly, or learn yeah. something. Exactly, turn <laughs> you your know? car into a university. Exactly. Uh, what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? Hmm. <laughs> Many things. Um, close. <laughs> in in a way, you know, it sounds weird. I think a lot of times we try to be too many things to too many people. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, coming from Europe, you know, 
there's difference there. You know, suddenly, you know, restaurant, hey, we're closing down for two weeks. We're going on vacation. And I think that is something we don't value enough here that, you know, if we can build that into our business model that, hey, we're only going to operate 50 weeks out of the year and then give everybody a break, we might be better operators. Yeah. Because, yeah, then I go like, well, those restaurants are successful over there. They're still in business, and they can close up for two weeks. Yeah. And and I think a lot of times we try to be this 24-7 to everybody, but uh, a lot of times that doesn't bring us the money we think we're going to make from it, and it also exhausts us. Yeah. Which the pros make, don't weigh, yeah. weigh the costs. I, I think, I think uh, you know, rest... And, you know, especially mental rest is very, very important mm-hmm. in our business to be able to uh, to recharge. You know, somebody wrote somewhere, it's like, you know, if we re- would recharge ourselves as much as we recharge our phones, we would be a lot better right. off. <laughs> well, I mean, back to my argument and why partnerships are yeah. so important. You can lean on each other. Yeah. Uh, if you need to unplug, yeah. you, you, there's somebody there that owns it that, that that's, you guys can call audibles and tag yeah. each other in and out. You know, it's so valuable. Uh, what is one piece of technology you've adopted within the four walls of your businesses uh, that has had a huge impact on communication, operations, efficiency, profitability, anything along those lines? For as much as I hate to say it, you know, a smartphone. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, five, six years ago, seven years ago, I thought, you know, texting was something high school kids did. <laughs> you know, and now I found that if I go through my text messages, 90% of them are business. Mm. You know, what are you putting in an order? Uh, a lot of, you know, there, there's some up-and-coming apps now that we actually use within that's on your phone and you do your order daily ordering on. which apps are you get uh, we use one app called Choco okay uh, your phone's right there if you want to yeah check. it's 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 super simple and they come in and they set up your order sheets and it sends an email to to the company and you know it it saves everybody time that's Choco spell that yeah C-H-O-C-O right. uh, they've been operating in Europe for a while uh, and they're they're building here in U.S. and it's it's built on chatting, you know, kind of like text messages. But you have your order sheets on there, and you just click, and you get confirmation. And I think it saves everybody time. Awesome. And you know how it is. You know, somebody is calling in the produce order at midnight, and you know they're tired and they're kind of going fast. And then you got some poor sod over in the produce company that has to pick up the phone <laughs> and listen to that message, and yeah. they're tired because their shift is just starting. You know, to disseminate that. You know, where a, here's an email. Yeah, and I'm sure there's some intelligence involved plugged into that oh, too, yeah. which recognizes your past ordering, so you can exactly. probably can just... Yeah, you can pull up, you yep. can repeat orders yep. and so on. So, uh, you know, I, w- I would say, you know, for something, you know, and I don't like to use my phone as far, you know, as much as, you know, a lot of people do for other things than business really uh you know i don't need to be connected all the time so uh but uh it's something i do when i get home this but, is the l- oh, go ahead but it, it definitely uh is something because you have it on you mm-hmm. you know i don't wear a watch 
Yeah. You know, it's my clock, so <laughs> it's you know, huge, I got to have it with me. And uh, It's part of human evolution now. Yeah. It's, like, it, it's literally an extension of what we're becoming. Yeah. Um, we're, we are becoming, bio, uh, what's the word? Uh, uh, bionic? Bionic, we yeah. are. What's the word? Uh, cyborg. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, think about it. We have pacemakers. We have hearing aids. We're eye contacts. Yeah. Uh, like, these are all enhanced body-enhancing technologies. Yeah. You know? Uh, it's just, now the phone, it's only a matter of time before the phone's injected into us somehow. I you think know? that. No, <laughs> yeah. I, we're, we're right around the corner. Yeah. Um, San Francisco's going to see it first. Tech company over here. Uh, all right. This is the last question. Are you ready for it? Okay. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? Ooh. Keep it clean, be kind, don't look back. Keep it, keep it clean, be kind, don't look back. I've loved this conversation. Thank you so much, Stefan, for taking the time to share your story, your knowledge, your mentorship. I wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So who's one independent restaurant operator, somebody you respect and admire uh, and believe would make a great guest mentor like you've made for us today, preferably an owner? Uh, well, I have several colleagues in here in San Francisco that I think are are great. Uh, one of them actually has his own podcast, so I'm not going to call him out. But a dear friend and a great chef, Robbie Kapoor, Liho Liho Yacht Club, uh, who uh, very very successful, uh, on the way to open his second restaurant now, and and um, when he started, you know, he was. He was chef at, at another restaurant here in San Francisco, and then he just kind of stopped. And uh, family reasons, you know, new kid and so on, didn't really know what he wanted to do. But he's, you know, originally from Hawaii, and he wanted to do something with Hawaii. And, and uh, he, he started this pop-up. And I was fortunate enough where he was like, hey, I need space to kind of do prep in. So he came and did a lot of his prep for his pop-ups, which were very, very successful. So I got to see the the inception of his idea and and try a lot of great things. And his pop-up turned into a brick and mortar that is, you know, now Geralda is one of the best restaurants in Which is in exactly US. how I would advise anybody getting into this yeah. industry. Start where you can, right? Yeah. And that's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Robbie Kapoor, look out, I'm coming after you. And you've got me intrigued. Who is this person that you were thinking of who has a their own podcast? Oh, uh, Chris Cosentino. Chris Cosentino. I think I, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I've, He's I've a crazy that. man and I love him. I would love I mean, yeah. that wouldn't stop me from getting him on the yeah. show. <laughs> so, yeah, him too. Great great story. Uh, great guys from New England like you. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, and there's so many, many p- chefs out there that I, I would give a shout out to. Uh, you know, list just keeps going. You know, working in San Francisco, living here in the Bay Area, one thing that I'm so fortunate and and uh, grateful for is that my colleagues you know the other chefs around here you know i always say you know we always play well with each other you know there's so many other places where it's so competitive and cutthroat and and you hear it from other people but but here people are pretty cool 
and awesome. uh, we help each other out and and we exchange ideas. So it's it's a pretty good place to be. Robbie, Chris, I'm coming after both of you guys. Look out! Uh, and just again, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, your knowledge, your mentorship. Oh, thank you. There is no questioning, my man. You are unstoppable. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. It takes a lot. It takes a lot to stop me. You're great. Cheers, man. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Sacramento and San Francisco. Great interviews. Uh, thank you for everybody who took the time to come on the show. Thank you for everybody who took the time to support the show. Uh, people, my listeners, people who are hosting me, people who are connecting me with their network. Man, uh, the support is just overwhelming and so uh, appreciated. And I am now in San Diego. So if you can think of anybody you respect and admire, somebody I need to make a, an example of on the show, please put them on my radar. And I want to connect with you. Uh, let's grab a beer. Let's grab some coffee. Let's let's. Let's talk about how I can make this show better. Let's talk about what you like about the show. Or if you're not in San Diego, but you want to join the community, head over to Facebook and search Unstoppable Restaurant Owners and Operators, and you'll find the private Restaurant Unstoppable group. Join the group. Join the conversation. Let's grow this community. All right, guys, that's it for today. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.